Hey everybody, Steph. This is an opinion cast just about an article that I read that troubled, bothered, bewitched, and bewildered me. So this is from McLean's Magazine, Quality Canadian Publication, August 2nd, 2010. How to talk to spouses who aren't talking. Something's triggered yet another angry, stony silence. Here's what not to do. Here's the problem. Your wife makes sarcastic comments about you in public later when you object. She insists you have no sense of humor. At home, she withdraws into a stony silence. You try to talk to her, but she says she wants to be left alone. If this infuriates you and makes you want to scream or file for divorce, psychologist Robert Ney has some advice specifically for people living with angry romantic partners. Sarcasm and stony silence are just as much anger issues as yelling and name-calling, says Ney, who's been helping couples deal with anger for 30 years. In his new book, Overcoming Anger in Your Relationship, How to Break the Cycle of Arguments, Put-Downs, and Stony Silences, Ney admits it's impossible to force change on someone, but, quote, there's a lot you can change, even without the cooperation of your angry partner. With a strong lead from you, there's a good chance your partner will follow and repairs can be made. He points out that you wouldn't let a shop clerk yell at you and call you names, quote, but when it's the person you love most who imposes his anger on you, it's easy to get ropes into trying to compensate, ride it out, and extend empathy. The trouble is by doing so over and over, you signal to your partner that hostility, yelling, name-calling, and sarcasm are fine with you. When you make changes, he writes, your partner is faced with a dilemma. Keep doing the same old thing without getting the same old reaction from you or change. You cannot control your partner's decision, but you will immediately feel better about your own life. To break the, the cycle of stony silence, a form of passive aggression, Ney advises, quote, stop making heroic, effort, heroic efforts to figure out what your partner wants. If your partner says, I don't really want to talk, or I'm not hungry, take it at face value and try not to become a mind reader, asking questions like, are you mad at me? And do you resent something? Counter withdrawal isn't a good solution either, says Ney. Instead, quote, let your partner experience the logical and natural consequences of his or her passive tactics. So he says, don't psychologize and blah, blah, blah. Uh, if your partner resorts to yelling and name-calling in the heat of an argument, don't yell back thinking two can play at this game. You will only end up with the empty post-argument feeling of regret. What's more, yelling back allows your partner to feel justified. Quote, you clearly have a problem with your anger, too. If your partner is standing and yelling, invite them to be seated. This immediately reduces the physiological tension. If the other refuses, you sit and say, I really want to hear what you have to say, but I wish you would sit so that I can relax and just listen. When your partner's voice escalates, bring your voice lower, advises Ney, and try to, quote, agree quickly with anything you can agree with to take the wind out of the other's sail. You don't have to agree with the specific allegations, he says, but try to agree in principle to something. For instance, you could say, quote, while I don't agree, while I don't agree that I never call mom and dad, let's not quibble over that, I do agree with your main point that we should try to do more for them. Don't apologize just to end the conflict. Quote, this will only solve your problem for a short while. In the long run, you have just humbled yourself just to keep the peace, clearly undermining your self-esteem and right to be heard. If you have trouble asserting these rights, writes Ney, you need the support of a counsellor who can help you get strong enough to set firm boundaries and hold to them. Why, he asks, quote, would you want to stay with someone who cannot accept you want to live your life without threats and conditional love? I tell you, this is, you know, I mean, the last sentence, of course, I, I completely agree with. Let me read that again. Why, he asks, would you want to stay with someone who cannot accept you want to live your life without threats and conditional love? Of course, that's all family members, I would say, and friends, not just spouses. So, what uh, what bothered me? Well, what bothered me was that he's not actually counseling honesty. He's counseling management. You know, like, uh, if your partner is standing and yelling, invite them to be seated and say, I really want to hear what you have to say, but I wish you would sit so I can relax and just listen. But the reality is that I don't think any human being alive wants to hear what someone has to say when that person is yelling at them. That is just not what 
uh, what makes people tick. I mean, my approach, of course, is quite different, which is to be honest and to say I'm both frightened and angry uh, by what's happening and uh, I don't know what to do about it. But to sort of do this management thing, I think, is uh, is not good. Um, I really uh, don't like with, uh, you know, try, try to agree with whatever you can in order to take the wind out of the other's sail. I think that, and then he says, don't appease. But isn't that just appeasing, right? Um, I mean, what if you don't agree with what's being said or certainly don't agree with how it's being said? Then I think that just to find things that to, to agree with, he's just basically talking about management. The other thing that bothers me is that if you've, you know, dated for a couple of years, be married for five or 10 years and this stuff is still going on, I'd like to know, I'd like to see some evidence, I'd like to see some facts about what sort of odds are you facing, right? So my question is to this guy, I'm going to try and get him on the show maybe, but my question is to this guy, oh, where's the evidence? So what proportion of couples who take this advice end up in happy marriages, right? That's sort of an important question because, you know, to my way of thinking, this kind of stony bullying goes way back to childhood and uh, is the result of unprocessed early traumas and the resulting bullying only makes these things worse. So you sort of co-join psychologically with your abusers and so on. So my question is, well, what's the success ratio? What is this? If you do, you've been doing this for 30 years. What is the success rate for this kind of stuff? Because from my perspective, I think, I don't think you go for management in relationships. I think that's a pathetic thing to do. I think you go for honesty in relationships because Passive aggression is just a form of bullying and manipulation. And so having a, quote, strategy to defuse the situation and agree with what you can agree to and please sit down and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's treating the person like a child. It's just going to make them more angry and just going to make them more upset. But I'm just curious. You know, he says that uh, there's a good chance your partner will follow and repairs can be made. Well, what is that good chance? Uh, if I'm if I'm selling a heart medicine, uh, I need to give some sense of what the... What these, the, the um, uh, what the, uh, the the chances are of success. And then this guy's giving advice about people who should stay with people who are pretty abusive. And so what's the success ratio? And he also doesn't talk about the downside, right? And this is the problem as well, right? So he doesn't say, look, if you stay with this person and it doesn't work out, then you've just dropped another couple of years into an abusive relationship. And uh, you're, they're, they're, you're then further scarred and, and further broken and so on. And that is, uh, uh, you know, they don't talk about the downsides. I mean, my sort of perspective, uh, I'm, you know, perhaps much more quick to pull the plug, but certainly in my relationships that didn't work out, uh, I wish I'd pulled the plug sooner and, and earlier. And uh, I think that, you know, people need to, uh, I think, have the courage to say that this is not a positive relationship. And now I, I, I found that the odds of reform within my own problematic relationships were effectively zero. And I, I, did, I was in therapy and, and I worked pretty hard and I'm pretty good at communicating and uh, and so on. So I worked very hard to rescue my relationships, but the success ratio was uh, was precisely zero. Now, even with uh, three hours of therapy a week, lots of homework, and and working on it peacefully. And so I'm going to. I mean, this is my own history, right? I'm and I've sort of certainly talked to people at FDR who've tried to reform abusive relationships, and the success ratio uh, is, is very low. Uh, it's very low. I'm not saying it's zero, but uh, it's not far from there. And the ones that I've heard about that are better, I haven't had a chance to talk about people with in depth uh, further. So what's uh, this guy doesn't give any odds of success. Uh, he doesn't counsel honesty and vulnerability. Uh, he doesn't count, he doesn't give you the downsides or the risks. And uh, he basically says here, why would you want to stay with someone who cannot accept you want to live your life without threats and conditional love? 
So what's your time, time frame? This is the other thing that is important. Like, so what's your time frame? Do you try this for three months? And if it doesn't get better, you know, does he then say, well, then you should think about getting a divorce or you should think about breaking up with this person because uh, three months is, is ample time for someone to change or six months or whatever. But uh, he just gives you these strategies. And I'm very much one for if you have a wolf in the house, I don't think that you don't call the exterminator, right? Or the, the guy who will take the wolf and set it free in the woods or whatever, right? You don't call that guy and he says, okay, well, try not to make too much eye contact with the wolf and uh, don't leave any food around and, and, uh, you know, don't shower because they don't, you know, they get attracted to the smell of deodorant and, uh, you know, but give it a wide berth and give it a room of its own and, you know, organize your life around this, uh, this dangerous animal in your house. Uh, he says, no, you got to get the wolf out, right? And, uh, so this guy is saying, you know, here's how you can manage this difficult, dangerous, and, and somewhat abusive person in your life. But, uh, he doesn't give you, it doesn't explain the downside. He doesn't give you the, the, uh, odds of success. And is it too much to ask that if you're saying to people, uh, you should not leave abusive relationships, uh, but you should attempt to manage them, uh, is it, is it too, too much to ask to say that, uh, I'd like to know what my odds are of success here? If the odds are 5%, uh, that's one thing. If the odds are 90%, that's another. And uh, the fact that he doesn't have odds that have been provided to me is pretty telling. And I think tells you, it tells you a lot about the state of psychology, the state of people's relationships, and the state of empiricism in this area.